Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. I've been running for a few years now and have the privilege of meeting many incredible runners on my travels all across the country. This podcast is intended to share those amazing conversations. And welcome back. Today I have Danielle Snyder joining me today. Uh, Danielle, thanks for uh, thanks for this fun chat we're about to have i'm excited for it <laughs> first question who's danielle i don't know that is a really good <laughs> question do people usually have the answer to that um no it's generally sort of like a life exploration uh oh, yeah. conversation that we get into but uh for some context danielle is a licensed clinical social worker in the state of oregon a wellness coach a running coach uh, she loves dogs as well. And, uh, the, the last time I saw Danielle, we were in a place called good dog park and, and it was, <laughs> so Danielle, thanks for, thanks for joining in today. My pleasure. So, um, I've wanted to have a conversation like this on the podcast for a few weeks now, um, with somebody who is, more than just a runner, more than just someone who is a, a mental health champion or or a mental health advocate, but someone who's actually trained in um, you know how the brain works and how we deal with things like what many of us are dealing with. So I'll sort of preempt this with uh, uh, a notice. If you haven't realized by now, this conversation will be. Uh, very timely to um, it's being recorded uh, at the beginning of April 2020. Um, the idea here is we're going to chat through some of the the concerns that people are having now with training and health and the world and um, and sort of hopefully have some takeaways that um, we can all learn from myself included um, and Danielle included I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so with that with that big. Uh, with that big disclaimer, I guess, um, let's, let's dive into it. Awesome. <laughs> so how did you get, how did you actually, let's kick off with a question from Camelia Mayfield, uh, a former, former neighbor of yours. Um, how did you, how did you know you wanted to go into the mental health field? I actually didn't. Um, so I, it's, oh, it's so kind of like a long story, which I'll not bore people a hundred percent with, but, um, I always, I think, so when you are raised in a household, um, where people are harder to predict, it can, you get to really be able to read people well in order to like, try to not ruffle the water. 
um, or ruffle feathers or something like that. And so you'll see this a lot in people who are good at picking up on other people's social cues or reading situations well. And that can often be traced back to like their own upbringing. And I was raised in a household in which I learned at a really young age, like, I'm not really good at not saying my opinion. But if I want to like, get what I need in life, I need to be able to read people better. So um, I quickly picked up on like social cues, being able to read people, um, understanding people, and it helped me basically survive my childhood. And I, when I went to college, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I understood people well. So I decided to get my degree in psychology. Um, And from there, you know, an undergrad in psychology is great, but doesn't really connect you with any jobs. So I knew I had to get my master's. Um, So I went and I got my master's in social work. And during that time, I really had no idea what I wanted to do with it. Um, except that I didn't actually want to work with people's mental health, (laughs) which is funny because that is, uh, yeah, I didn't. I was like, uh, you know, mental health is complicated and, (laughs) and I, I don't know if I really want to work in mental health. And so I did, um, medical social work for a really long period of time. Um, and I recognize that mental health is everywhere. And it's a part of mental wellness. And if we're going to be working with humans, you're also going to be dealing with their mental well-being. Um, So I decided that I needed to learn everything I could about mental health. And I did this um, emergency crisis work where I assessed, I went to people's homes and I did assessments of uh, acute safety concerns, which is suicide, homicide, and psychosis. And it was for four or five years, and it kind of really opened my eyes to better understanding mental health in, and that it is everywhere. Um, We would go to the poorest neighborhoods without running water, or we would go to the mayor's wife's house. And kind of across the board, the one thing that I always saw as being consistent is mental health does not discriminate. It impacts everyone. So I basically use some of my innate skills to fall into doing mental health work. That's awesome. Um, That line of mental health doesn't discriminate is more true now than ever before. I think you see people um, in in very successful positions and and you know the total opposite, um, all experiencing. Uh, confusion or or some some level of uncertainty or um i don't know like a disconnect from regular life or or pressure anxiety or uh, whatever it might be uh, now more than ever before yeah and it's it's across the board um i've been pretty vocal about my own experience with mental health and um you know starting at a young age i saw a psychologist starting in, I think, third grade, and I was on medication and uh, antidepressants. And, um, you know, I was a a kid in an upper middle class home in a nice suburb. And, um, you know, on paper, everything looked good 
for me. Um, but mental health doesn't care. I was like a very depressed little, you know, eight year old. (laughs) And, um, and then fast forward, uh, to maybe 2018 and I started working with a therapist again, um, to work on communication and, um, really just understanding myself and how to talk to other people and get what was in my head out to others that, either needed to hear it or to have conversations that I needed to have. And it led to some of the most difficult and also some of the best conversations that I'll ever have in my life. Uh, And, and I think that the therapy itself enabled me to have those conversations um, and, and connect with people in ways that I could never have imagined before. So let's dive into some more sort of timely uh, questions or, or discussions. A lot of people are, are in a new normal and they've now at this point settled into what it's like to be working from home while also maybe, you know, being a homeschool teacher while also, you know, understanding that, you know, you, you have more dishes than you've ever seen before. And, you know, despite not going anywhere, the laundry is piling up. And so you have these these, these obligations that, you know, don't stop because you have, um, how do you, how do you manage to keep any sense of sense of normalcy during times like these? It's interesting how our sense of normalcy changes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in this quote unquote new normal, I, you know, it's interesting. Another part that I think is really interesting is how people are like, well, when we get back to normal or like when we get back to our new normal and I'm, Instead of encouraging people to wait, I encourage people to make the routine in the now in everyday life. And I know like any type of mental health practitioner right now or really coach or anyone is like routine, routine, routine. And I believe the body can calm itself in routine, but within that routine, there has to be a place for self-compassion and recognizing that. I kind of describe our levels of energy as in buckets. And so like you have a bucket for yourself with like that uh, waters the things that you want it to water. And then you have a bucket of stress that gets filled up with all the things that you need to do. And ideally, like you don't want to be using your bucket of water to water everything else in the garden, but yourself, and then letting other people kind of fill up your bucket of stress. And Mm -hmm. so for me, what that looks like is right now, things don't have to look the same way. So if that means sometimes your kids are eating takeout food instead of, you know, you guys following the everyday schedule of making things from scratch, that's okay. Um, If you know, your laundry isn't getting done right on time. As long as you're still functioning, that's okay. It doesn't, things don't have to always look perfect, especially right now. There's a lot of stress going on. So finding a flexible routine in that you need to kind of pick and choose your battles. So if you need to make dinner and your kid needs to watch TV for a half an hour longer than you usually let them, it's okay. You know, that that kind of that piece of like the world is being a harsh enough critic right now at, with what it's throwing at us. We don't have to add on 
to that pressure. That makes sense. Um, one thing that I did recently was um, made an intentional choice to limit or almost entirely cut out Twitter from my yeah. life. And I love Twitter more than, you know, most. And, um, and this was a request initially from David, uh, our coach, based on some of the observations from, uh, from my training log, where yeah. I, I was reflecting that anytime I spent time on Twitter, it was doing one of two things. It was taking me till, you know, 11 o'clock at night to put it down and go to sleep. And I was wasting three hours and, you know, in my night, or I would literally work myself into what I now am aware of is a panic attack. And I never experienced what I experienced on, I think it was Saturday or Sunday, yesterday. Um, and, and so I, I, it was like cold Turkey, like I, and and it's been great. So what's how do you suggest people approach social media and news consumption and and all of that mayhem? So this is the only diet I'll ever prescribe. And I've said this <laughs> like with a few people I'm talking to, but a media diet is what needs to happen right now because there is like like what you describe and what you're experiencing is so common right now not that it's any less scary but it is just like prevalent for all of us i you know i can't read the news without finding my own heart beating and like acknowledging anxiety in my body so i tell people to choose like one trusted source and i'm not going to give you my opinion on what the trusted source is because i think it's different for everyone um and read it once a day and that may be too much for some people. Like that's if you need to, because the recommendations are not changing. And yes, this is evolving every second. There's something new, but really that is us and our brains trying to find peace by trying to get as much information as possible. Um, but it actually doesn't help and it has the opposite effect. So I say once a day, if you're doing it 20 times a day, it's really hard to cut that back and do it only once a day. And so depending on like who I was working with, I would make a kind of a checklist for them. Um, it's awesome though, that you were able to do that cold Turkey and then see that immediate relief. I don't know if it's been immediate relief, but it's been like significant relief. Uh, yeah, I guess that's immediate, but um, yeah, I mean what I, I had, I tweeted last night that I'm making a conscious, I mean, cause I'm pretty active on Twitter and like, if yeah. people don't, if people don't, if I don't reply, you know, quickly, you know, Oh, where did he go? Yeah. Um, so I wanted to put something out and like, if you don't hear from me, this is why. Um, and what I said was I'm spending a lot more time on Instagram and finding that to be productive use of my time because it's full of funny memes, it's full of dogs, and it's full of the outdoors. And I'm not joking when I say that. Like, this is what's making me you. happy. Yeah. And my my friends are sending me funny videos, and I'm sending my friends funny videos and, and stuff like that. And I think that's healthy. And I don't care that my screen time is up more than ever before on, on Instagram if it's making me happy. And yeah. so what what's, what's your take on... Um, you know, where to focus or what to focus on 
along those lines. Well, I think that comes into the self-compassion, right? Like in this moment, it is okay if it is helping us survive because we are, things could of course be worse, but things could definitely be better. And so we do have to find ways to cope within our means. And so in the day to day, would I give someone coming into my office to see me the advice to sit and like be on Instagram? Of course not. I tell them to get outside. I tell them to see friends, you know, like the typical advice to manage anxiety and depression looks very different right now. So if it is helpful for you and not causing you harm with that caveat of like, clearly there are things that are really harmful that might feel helpful. That's not what I'm encouraging, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, it's okay. Like right now it's about surviving and survival looks different than thriving. Yeah, I like that. Um, what is your what does your own routine look like uh, these days in terms of running and um, socialization and things like that? So that um, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, can I give you the? Do you want the long version or the short version? Let's go long version. People always apologize. Uh, on podcasts when they when they talk and are wordy and I'm like <laughs> that's the point <laughs> if you, if you give the short version to everything and just say yes you know it's a pretty boring interview so um let's let's hear the long version great then I'll go for the long version cool. um so oh gosh so last year a year to the date um my little sister who's not that little she's 31 she um I got a phone call and this is all going to connect, but I got a phone call from my older sister and they were in the emergency department. Um, and that she had a 22 pound tumor in her, um, they thought it was her, her ovaries and they thought it was terminal ovarian cancer. Um, and so on that call, my older sister said, you have to come to DC immediately. They're, they're not going to give her long to live. Um, And so I am in the Northwest, Pacific Northwest, and I had, um, I remember feeling this, like, uh, this shock in my body that I had never felt before, ever. Like, my body failed me. Um, And as an ultra runner who has done, like, these crazy adventures, I've never had an experience where my body physically stopped working like that after hearing something. And so I got on a plane and turns out that she actually had a 22 pound tuber in her uterus. And after like an eight hour surgery, they removed it and her recovery was really long and, and horrible, but she lived and she's going to be okay. But I, I remember this experience of like, I've had people die in my life who were older, but never someone I thought was going to die who was younger than me. Um, and so close to me. And so I, I, I just, even talking about it, like sometimes my chest gets tight and I like forget to breathe because it was so profound in that life as I knew it had changed. Um, cause it was, it didn't like, I had always had this belief system that like, okay, I'm going to live my life and then I'm going to die when I get older. I never thought like my life could be, you know, you hear about sudden death, but you don't ever, I mean, I never actually thought like 
it was going to happen to me or someone I loved. It made it like in front of my face. Mm-hmm. So I had been doing mental health work for probably, or I a therapist for like 12 years at that point or 10 years. I'm not really sure. Um, and I was not happy in my job. And, you know, I was constantly talking about like working more on my private business, which is what I do with athletes. And I, but I was scared. Um, and I could do all these other scary things in my life, like run races, but I was petrified of leaving my secure job and something about witnessing death so close made me realize like I, I need to do something. So I gave myself a date and I was going to quit my full-time job and pursue my private business full-time and I was going to save and I was going to be prepared as possible. Um, and I, in January, I gave my full-time job notice that I was going to leave mid-March and I found this awesome van because I decided you know what, like, I've always done things, quote unquote, the right way, or lived really safely, in my mind, safely, like I had a good job and things like that. Um, And so got this awesome van, (laughs) so excited. And then, oh, you know, I'd been at that point, like my business was probably, I'd been doing it part to full time for the last year and a year before that. Um, and I was like, all right, doing it. And I left my job. And then a week later, the, <laughs> the pandemic happened. And I was like, Oh, fuck. Like, sorry, just swore. Um, That's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> what am I gonna do now? So I decided that with like all small businesses, like, took a hit. Um, and I didn't feel comfortable buying a van, a van with my life savings. And looking back, I'm really thankful now because van life during the pandemic does not seem ideal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I call up my best friends who live in Portland and I talk to them and they offer to let me stay in their house. Um, now is this the house you previously lived in? No. So oh. <laughs> before, so I lived in Portland, then I went to Bend and I'm back in Portland. Um, but this is my other best friends. I have a lot of good friends in Portland. Um, so I am um, living with them in Portland. I moved in the middle of the pandemic before the shelter in place. Um, and I feel despite a lot of the unknowns, I feel extremely fortunate because I am in a safe place um, with people that love me. Um, And my lease was ending. And so I was really, really in a hard spot. So um, it's kind of been serendipitous that I'm here living in their house. And what my life looks like is like very... um, word I'm thinking of. I I guess I would say like, I feel pretty fortunate because I am with people I connect with and I'm close with and, and support me. And, um, I know a lot of people who are living alone, isolated, um, kind of like home now being teachers and I'm not experiencing that. So with that being said, I do have myself on a routine of kind of 
I, I follow a similar routine that I did before, but it's a lot less strict and I'm a lot more patient with myself. Um, so I wake up, I run, I'm thankful that like, even though a lot of our trails are shut down, not the main trails near my house. And then I eat and then I take a nap and then I work and then I eat more. And then I sit outside sometimes. Um, so it, but it, it, within it, there is a lot of like, I write down my schedule for the day to keep myself motivated. Um, and I'm playing a lot of kind of mental, tr- not tricks, but ways to stay grounded. Because if I don't, then I start to feel really out of control and stressed. So that was a long-winded answer to my days look different every day, but I try to stay on a schedule, even though it's a lot more lenient. That's awesome. Um, I think it's, uh, you're lucky that you have um, other people to you know hang out with and um, totally. socialize with. I'm, I'm sitting here. Uh, I haven't been closer than six feet to another human in a month, probably. Yeah. And it's like bizarre. And I didn't realize how much of an extrovert extrovert I I am until until this whole process. And like the other day I saw I went to um I'm going to my parents' house uh about an hour away and don't worry, I'm quarantining in their basement, blah blah blah. Um and or isolating in their basement. And so I was buying uh my friend manages a bike shop and I wanted to support him and the bike shop. And my dad <laughs> told me to get mountain bike shoes. Uh, so I said, okay, Mark, you guys open great. I'll come over. Um, and so I bought, I bought bike shoes at like, you know, 10 feet apart. And, yeah. um, and then I saw my boss later that afternoon and, you know, I dropped something off at his house that I've had for a month. And I talked to him from, you know, one car length away. But prior to that, I literally hadn't, spoken to anybody in person in a, in a full month and yeah. it's just bizarre i mean i i i met up with a friend um across two lanes of traffic uh on and two sidewalks um you know last week on you know wednesday or whatever it was and we talked from 25 feet away and like that was the first human interaction i had in, in like 3 weeks um, and it's just like, it's bizarre. And so this is a partly selfish question, but also uh, for those, for the other people out there who are going through this isolation, you know, totally isolated. Uh, how, <laughs> what do you suggest? That is a really hard question because as a therapist and thinking of like your well-being and what you need social distancing and like walking six feet apart from people seems like a valid way to connect with other people however the a lot of my clients who I am still working with are on the front lines and listening to their stories um has been horrifying in terms of feeling the importance for myself to heed what they're saying. And like, I am not going to the grocery store. I'm, you know, like my interactions outside of my home are very limited, um, to 
not like being around anyone outside of my, who I'm living with. So, and, and, you know, like what people are doing and how they're managing is they're like scheduling dates through FaceTime or zoom or talking on the phone or like, you know, I was actually talking to Camelia yesterday and we were like, Hey, we can run and talk on the phone together while we're running. And, you know, like trying to find unique ways of connecting that don't actually feel the same, but they're enough to kind of bridge us. Yeah. I, I, um, I have a friend who lives in Virginia beach and, um, a friend of his or mutual friend of his, um, coincidentally, uh, one of the co-founders of November project. So of course mm. he's going to have great ideas for, uh, socializing in a time like this. Um, he suggested that my friend Ryan try, uh, FaceTiming a friend pre-run and post-run and, um, and it was awesome. I did it last week yeah. and like, you know, we talked about what we were going to do. We talked about, you know, our running and it was just like small talk. And mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody is experiencing small talk anymore. It's all big talk. Um, yes. And so I, it was just like, it was so simple. Like we, we talked on FaceTime for, for five minutes while stretching. And then we talked on FaceTime afterwards and it was just like so simple, but it was like, it was like such a recharge for me. And I think that that is really important too, is like kind of putting boundaries around how much we're talking about it. I mean, it's our life, right? Like this is what we're experiencing and it's important to feel like we can talk to people about it, but it is so draining and impactful and everything that we're doing that there is no more what you were saying, like small talk. And so like light conversation, laughs, quote unquote, normal conversation, like about what you're eating helps us stay present and normal because not everything has to be heavy. Right. So on the, on the, on the flip side, on the flip side, I've had better connections with friends and family than ever before. And totally like you have to be intentional because if you, if you're not, it's not going to happen. And so like an example uh, from a few weeks ago, I, had a zoom hangout with my college crew and there were 10 of us from New York, Boston, and Korea. And awesome. we acknowledged at the end of it that um, we hadn't all been in the same room in eight years. Yeah. And like this technology existed a year ago or five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, but, but we chose, we never chose to use it. And I think that, um, where that comes from is that we as humans and correct me if I'm wrong, but like those, those meaningless, seemingly meaningless interactions of, um, you know, the people in line at the grocery store or the, the server at the restaurant you're going to, or saying hi to the, the guy driving the tea, uh, the train, uh, stuff like that. Um, that, that's like essential and and these interactions are essential and when you strip a, strip all that away you still have to have human connection unless you're you know a total hermit <laughs> which mm-hmm. um i mean god bless you at a time like this if you're a hermit like <laughs> you've been you've been waiting for this moment for your whole life um but but do you agree do you think that that those are useful interactions you know those those small touch points 
Yeah. I mean, it's all about the balance. I think we need those meaningful conversations that you're talking about. And when we are super busy and constantly going and don't have time for those deeper connections, we're really missing the soul, what I like to call like a soul connection with someone. And also that small talk is important part of conversation and helpful. And there's a reason we do small talk. Um, So I guess what I would think is that, and everything like humans, we're very um, apt to see things black or white or like where small talk is bad or small talk is good, where it's like, well, sometimes it's really good. And those human interactions, brief as they may be, you know, I'm making, again, I feel really fortunate that I still can run where I have people I know who are stuck in their house. I'm waving at every person I am running by. Yeah. And sometimes they don't wave back and I'm like, meh, I'm going to wave a little bit harder. <laughs> so, <laughs> because, but I feel that, you know, that's for me, because I have this kind of this seeing into people's lives outside of what they portray on social media or even walking down the road. Like I've always kind of believed that like we need to extend our hands and be warm right now. We just need to extend a wave. So yes, again, I'm talk a lot, but that is a, um, a social interaction is really, really important. I mean, to, to the human humanity piece. For sure. Um, so Last week I had uh, Ladia on the um, on the podcast. And we talked a lot about bravery and hope, and um, sort of like a two part question: um, What does hope and bravery mean to you? That's that is getting really deep. <laughs> so let me think about the most. Not the most, but I, I want to think about how to describe how important hope and bravery is to me. Because I think that's like, it looks so different for so many people. And yeah, it's so important. So when I read articles that tell me that this is going to last for 18 months, all of my hope and kind of all my fears rise and I can feel in my body and kind of the same feeling that I felt when my sister was diagnosed, um, is how I feel. And so I will do anything to protect that piece of, of hope in my life. And what that means for me is taking it one day at a time. Mm -hmm. So it's very similar. So this past, um, I've been thinking about this a lot because I have a lot more time to think, Um, but this past, I guess it was last summer. Yeah. I did the Oregon PCT and I ran it for multiple days. And when on the first day, I remember kind of having this conversation with myself that like, if I'm going to survive, I can't think about running 460 miles. I have to think about running one mile at a time. And that can give me the hope that I need to keep moving forward because I can only control what I'm doing in this moment. So to me, it was brave and is brave to stay focused on the here and now and not try to fixate on what's next. And the hope that like 
there's always opportunities and chance for things to get better and that we have control in that. So That's when awesome. I start, sorry, go on. No, go ahead. So when I start to feel hopeless or this is never going to end or any of those things, it's not that I'm not realistic about it, but in order to feel as empowered as possible, I'm like, I'm here right now in this moment. That makes sense. Um, So the Brave Like Gabe Foundation posted a quote from Gabe this morning, and it said, for whatever's heavy on your heart, peace is waiting for you on the run. Um, This is a question that was submitted. So many of us run because we look for that peace and for physical and mental or mental well-being. So why is it that on some days when we or a running friend most need that peace and well-being, we have the hardest time getting out the door on that run? That's a really good question. Wouldn't it be nice if it worked like that, though? Like, (laughs) if every time we, like, knew, you know, like, every time we just knew that exact way to find that peace. And I think, you know, that's what makes peace so special is, like, it doesn't just come. Like, we have to work for it. Um, And we have to be really compassionate towards ourselves in that process. Because running looks a lot different right now. Um, and there are so many things wrapped up in running in this moment. Uh, And what I mean by that is like, it's not just leaving and going out and running. Like you also have to deal with looking, being around other people, the stress of leaving your home, the stress of staying in your home, the stress of not having races. Um, and our body does not differentiate between work stress, home stress, pandemic stress. So we have this all like swirling essentially in heaviness in our body. And so generally when the peace we're not like we're used to experience through running is not there. It's because like, there's just too much going on and we can't actually run away. Like we have to run towards things, not run away from things, which Seems like a minor detail in words, but it's like if you are expecting to run away from the stress, that's not how running works. You're going to carry that stress with you. So on days where you don't feel like leaving the house right now, I encourage you to just go out and hike or walk and then see if you want to run. I think that's a good tip. Um, what are the questions that I should be asking someone like yourself at a time like this that I haven't yet? That's a good question. What are the, you know, I think that like there are a couple of um, common things that I'm hearing and there's a lot of guilt um, surrounding I'm really, really lucky and I'm really miserable. Mm -hmm. So people are, are feeling a lot like I have a steady job. I have food, I'm running and I'm depressed. What's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the questions I'm getting. Um, And often kind of my answer to that is something similar that I feel like is echoed throughout society, which is like the duality of feelings is so important that we can feel one emotion and then we can feel another emotion all at the same time. 
And the more we try to stop ourselves from feeling any emotions or like telling us that that emotion is wrong or bad or negative, the more we're going to feel it. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, Alexi Pappas the other day posted, it's okay to feel big and small, capable and scared, positive and confused at the same time. And I, I messaged, I texted her. I was like, this is how I, re- I feel right now. All of it. Yeah. And I think it's powerful to accept that, um, that that's, that's possible. And yeah, you can feel multiple, like good and bad and, and motivated and, you know, apathetic and all of this. And like, that's what everyone's going through. And yeah, I'm in the same boat right now. And I'm seeing all these people posting that, you know, um, if you're one of the lucky ones that just has to stay home, like good for you. And I'm in, I'm in that boat. Like we had a meeting today about job security and, um, and pay and, and, you know, what we're doing, like, we all still have health insurance. We also have a job and, and like priority one is to ensure that we all still have a job, right. the entire staff. And so it's like, now I'm like, <laughs> I got a nice paycheck. Um, and I feel guilty about it. And right. uh, so like, yeah, it's that exact, it's that duality of, of, of it. And I'm trying to pay it forward, literally like, spending money with, with, you know, the local running store and the bike shop and takeout and tipping, you know, twice what I normally would and stuff like that. But it's like, how much more can you do before it's too much? And then, you know, it's like that. Um, I don't know. It's like, it's a weird dance between um, like, I always reference the, the quote that, or the saying uh, perhaps it's, it's more timely than ever before. Um, I always talk about, um, like what you said earlier, like putting watering with, from your own bucket first before, um, watering the other, you know, plants in the garden. And, and I always reflect on like, Hey, I travel a lot. So I hear the reminder yeah. from flight attendants of put your own mask on first before helping those around you literally in today's day and age, put your own mask on first before helping those around you. Um, and so I think at the end of the day, like you have to show up for yourself before you can show up for anybody else. And, uh, whether that's for your kids, for your spouse, your significant other, for your family, your friends, whatever, like if you don't have your own health and mental sanity and clarity, uh, it's going to be hard to, you know, bring your own gifts that you bring to the world to, to other people. So, um, I think more than ever, it's like, it's okay to be selfish and it's okay to do things that maybe are irrational, but make you feel good. Maybe. I'm going to even change. So I'm a big reframer, but I'm going to call it self-care rather than selfish. Yeah. Um, I like that. Because more than ever, like I cannot like piggyback off more, what you're saying that like, but more than ever, if you wear yourself so thin, your immunity goes down. And like, we have to be taking care of ourselves in this because no one else is there. And really there's not the resources. (laughs) So if you've ever needed a better time to practice self-care, this is it. (laughs) For sure. Uh, Yeah. But uh, that's such a kind of, an interesting thought process of like, if I have some things, I have to give them all away. And 
again, it kind of comes to me in the terms of the balance of like, we don't have to be doing these broad sweeping gestures in order to make a difference. And I think that happens like with the environment too. People often, I'll talk to people about like environmental changes and they'll be like, well, if I'm not doing this, like, then why bother doing anything else? Because it doesn't make a difference. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, yes. And if everyone's mindset is the same, then we're not going to make a difference. And so those little droplets count for something. So if that means like, hey, I'm going to text this person that I know is a nurse and maybe like tell them, hey, I'm thinking about you, that is doing something to support yourself and them. And it doesn't have to be huge. Like you don't have to pay for their next month of rent. I mean, sure, that'd be great. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, our brains kind of make it so like this is right and this is wrong. And there's Mm -hmm. that whole beautiful rainbow in between that we have been given the sucky time to practice. <laughs> like, why not um, learn, learn how to be a little more self-compassionate and caring to ourselves during this period? Because if anything, this is a reflection on the, for, like how fragile life is. Definitely. So one of the things you mentioned was your uh, PCT uh, experience and how you're breaking up, um, how you broke that up into manageable chunks versus looking at it like, oh, I got 400 miles ahead. <laughs> Great. I think I think when, you know, two weeks ago, I was looking at this as, oh, I got 400 miles ahead. I'm drowning. Um, yeah. And then it became let's take this a week at a time. Let's take this two weeks at a time. Uh, let's put, you know, dates on the calendar. Let's focus on, on something to look forward to in May or whatever. And what I found to be like super helpful, just short term that was impactful was, um, scheduling FaceTimes or, Mm -hmm. or zoom calls and stuff three days in advance, at least three days in advance and giving myself like on a Monday, scheduling for Friday or Saturday and on Saturday scheduling for Wednesday and just like putting these like little, little bite size, uh, goals or, or, um, milestones on the calendar so that, all right, now it's, it's happy hour with work friends. And, and in three days it'll be happy hour with my college friends. And I found that like super helpful. And it's like, you know, this analogy just came to me. Um, there's a railroad that goes across the country. And yeah. what I'm doing is I'm putting in milestones, you know, three railroad ties at a time or five railroad ties at a time. Eventually I'll get there. But if I try to, you know, throw my um, calendar on, you know, from from Boston to to Portland, um, that's not going to work, but I can, right. I can advance down the tracks, you know, a couple of, of bites at a time. Uh, and I think it's been, I know it's been really productive and my friends have started doing it unintentionally or maybe intentionally too. Um, I, I was talking with, with, uh, some friends last week about changing our, our happy hour from Saturday to Friday. And it was already Friday. 
And my friend was like, no, I want something to look forward to tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like, it's like, you know, it's these lessons that we learn in running, like you can't run a hundred miles at a time. You can't train for a marathon all at once. Yeah. Um, they, they carry over into, into this strange life that we're living now too. You know, take it in bite-sized manageable pieces. I've been joking with people like this is the best ultra training ever. (laughs) We can get through this. Like, I mean, a hundred milers are still going to be hard. I mean, (laughs) I want to sign up. I want to sign up for a hundred miler right now. Just like thinking about it that way. Run on your Um, treadmill. Get it done. No, I'm just kidding. David's going (laughs) to kill me. He's going to be like, Danielle, (laughs) the worst advice. Um, yeah, I, I kind of, I'm doing the same exact thing. I mean, I'm like, if I can just get to this point, then that's all I need to worry about. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of a, it's a mind trick, but it's also like helping keeping you focused on what you can control because we can't control the bigger picture. I mean, we not really, honestly, like we never have been able to, and this is just kind of in our faces of things that we, we like, we have less that we're in control of now. For sure. So what are some of the other lessons you've learned in running that have translated over to life? And, and for context, um, can you talk a little bit about some of the longer races and longer distances you run? So people are aware you run very long distances and have plenty of time to think. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of time to think. I run a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, something that like, that one of the things that I'm constantly being taught in races and in, and in long runs is that like, we have to relearn lessons so many times that it kind of reminds me of the grief cycle. Um, have you heard of that? Like the denial, anger, Okay. So in, when they first created this grief cycle, they told people that like, you're going to go through it in this like nice order and it's going to look like this. And like, once you get through it, you're going to be healed. And later they came back to it and they were like, yeah, we're just kidding. (laughs) You can feel all the emotions at once. They're going to come back. You may get to acceptance and then you're going to try to bargain again. And so one of the things that I've learned in these long races as well as like life is that like I'm constantly being shown the same lessons and sometimes I respond better and other times I respond the same way (laughs) and I'm each time I'm learning from it um and so the practice never stops it's not like we achieve this light and then all of a sudden we're um like woke for more or less (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh I'm constantly being woke and constantly being reminded and like the it doesn't get any easier it's kind of like running hills like it doesn't ever get easier and sometimes I'm more compassionate towards myself when it's hard and other times I'm not compassionate and I'm like beat myself up well I think it's like you can handle more right it's like it's like adapting to training like you never get, it never gets easier. You just get faster and you can handle the load better and, and you can handle the stress better and adapt to more of it. Yeah. And sometimes you go slower and that's okay too. That doesn't make you 
less of a person if you have one run where you go slower. And because if you step back and you look at the bigger picture of it, which is why therapists and coaches are so helpful to point that out to you of like this one moment doesn't get to define who we are forever. So let's say you have a a bad race or a bad day. That doesn't mean that tomorrow you're going to wake up and it's going to be the same. Like we get the opportunity, thankfully, because we're alive to try it, to do things differently. And, and so in the past during races, when I have a hard moment, because I do all this mental challenging and training, I'm always surprised. Um, (laughs) So I stopped using the term if I have a hard moment and I started to reframe it to when I have a hard moment, this is going how I'm going to respond. And so I, I think about that and how it translates into every day of like, we're going to have hard moments, pandem- pandemic or not. Like there's always going to be these moments that like kick us down. And then like someone's going to step on us when our face is in the mud. And like, <laughs> you know, we have opportunities to stay in the mud with our face dirty or we can like get back up. Um, and sometimes someone needs to help us back up or, you know, sometimes we stay down a little bit longer and we're like eating mud for a few days. But <laughs> then, you know, there's always that next step that like, okay, I'm going to crawl for a little bit and then I'm going to get, I'm going to get to my knees and then I'm going to get back up. And so I think running and racing is so much like that. Like you're going to fall like this, this is a big fall right now. And so it's okay to be sad and, and laugh and be happy and like to be all the emotions and then to get back up and start over, start from where you're at. All this mud talk makes me want to go run on some trails right now. Oh, sorry. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, one of the, one of the, I guess, so you mentioned sometimes you need help getting back up. Um, one of the things that we were talking about before we started recording was uh, a group called bigger than the trail. Um, mm-hmm. And they connected with me um, a couple days ago and I had a conversation with them yesterday. And, and so bigger than the trail is an organization that uses trail running as a platform to advocate for mental health. And, and they, they connect runners with therapists. And, and so I want to, I want to know um, a little bit about how you got connected with them and uh, maybe how we can connect with you and, and what the process looks like for starting work with someone like yourself or, or a mental health professional? Yeah. Um, so I, about when Bigger Than Trail started, um, it's, I believe it's a nonprofit organization. Um, they were just advertising, I think on Instagram, and I was just looking as a way to help further the conversations about mental wellness and mental health within trail running. Um, because I, as I continue kind of on this path, the more and more I'm noticing kind of the vulnerability within athletes to present as being strong and tough. And unfortunately, sometimes what strong and tough looks like or what we perceive it to look like is that that means that we don't have emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually kind of going back to that bravery piece that we talked about earlier, I think being brave is being authentic. And so I wanted to do anything I could to help 
encourage authenticity and real conversations about being human and having emotions and how we can use them for our advantage rather than our disadvantage. And so I, I connected to bigger than the trail and I really appreciate kind of their ability to spread the word essentially of like, let's have open dialogue about this. Um, so there, they have a Facebook group, um, and they're just very, I don't know. I just really appreciate kind of everyone's authenticity in that group. Um, and so I believe, like, I believe that you could just reach out to Tommy and, um, he could tell you more about how to connect specifically with the therapist that he works with. I think he's using the better health helper better health um and it's an online resource to connect to mental health therapists in your area um so that that's one piece um and then kind of as a piece i just like to tell anyone who is starting to work with someone new whether it be a coach or a physical therapist or a mental health therapist or a doctor and one of those things that are really important is that you have to find a good fit And it doesn't mean that you don't like the person. It just means that there has to be a connection there where you feel like you can build that trust. And it might not happen on your first try. So don't give up. If you have a conversation with someone and it doesn't feel like a good fit or you give them two or three tries and you're like, eh, this doesn't really feel right for me, that's okay. And I'm always telling people that. Like, take your time when you start to work with me. And if it, like, Let's communicate about it. This is a relationship and it's important that you feel comfortable um, and that I'm meeting your needs. Same is true for a coach. Like you should be able to talk to your coach and make sure that there's open dialogue about that. Um, So I also am accepting new clients and people are able to reach out to me through my email. uh, Danielle, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-R Snyder. S-N-Y-D-E-R at gmail.com. And so you're a running coach as well, right? Yeah, I am a running coach as well. So do you sort of bundle all of those services into into one? What is is the uh, coach-athlete dynamic for the majority of your clients? So some I do. A lot I don't actually. So sometimes like coaches will refer their athletes to me so I can work on the endurance, like the mental endurance or the wellness portion of it. Um, and they'll do the coaching with their own coach. Um, and then there are a few that I kind of combine the two. And then there are other ones that I just do the running coaching with. Yeah. It's awesome to see, um, to see you show up in the swap group and, you know, have David uh, and Megan refer athletes to you for, for the mental coaching aspect and then all the fun quotes you've had in trail runner magazine um there are plenty of places that you can uh, you can learn from danielle and everything that she knows um in addition to working with her uh one-on-one if that's something that would be of interest um what are what are some of the what's like the, your your north star at this moment where where's your where's your where's your ship sailing I'm smiling right now. I forgot that you couldn't see me. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. I, you know, I, um, I guess that I would say that's one of my struggles right now is not like I had a really, like I had what I thought was my plan to kind of travel around to races and live in my van. And Mm -hmm. that's not an option right now. And so I'm figuring it out. Um, and I'm trying not to get discouraged because I, I'm disappointed that what I had in store is looking a little bit differently for me. Um, And I'm also trying and seeing this as kind of like, all right, like the trail is closed. I always use trail running references. Like (laughs) when I did the PCT, like, no, literally when I did the PCT, like I remember this like moment and like the trail was closed because there was mountain lions and we wanted to follow the same path that like the guys who had done it before did. Mm -hmm. And so I remember we like had started to go down the path where like there were no, like we had been running for like three days nonstop at this point, but where there was like known mountain lions and we go like maybe half a mile and then look at each other. And like, I was with my friend Jameson and I was like, what are we doing? Like we, this trail is closed. Like there are mountain lions, like we need to turn around. So we ended up like turning around, running back and going and like thinking about it and going like, you know, the proposed route that (laughs) the Rangers did for us. Um, and so I'm kind of at that moment, that moment, I can feel it. Like the, the mountain lions are on the path. And so I had to turn around and now I'm just like looking for a different path. Um, and so I don't know what my North Star is yet to be seen. What is your North Star? Oh, that's a good question. I hate when people turn it around on me. I was on a couple of podcasts lately and um, maybe I'm spoiling the, the, the hard questions at the end, but I like to ask, but I like to ask though, who are you? And then what are you scared of? And I was asked that recently and I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for my own answer. Um, But what is my North Star? My North Star is um, consistency and, um, just putting out good feelings and good vibes into the world. Um, when this all started, I jumped in really fast with podcasting more and I did like a dozen interviews in like a week and a half. Um, and I very much got off to like the, this is a sprint, not a marathon. And that mm-hmm. was wrong. Um, and I'd say I like burned myself out a little bit. So I took a step back and didn't do any for a week. Um, but my goal, like having conversations like this, um, and I did one with Shalane and I did one with Ladia. And I think those are like the three of these are like the pill, like the cornerstone of what I want to put out into the world. Shalane talked very tactically about how to address not having races on the calendar. Uh, and I asked her to, to, go on the podcast with this timing because I had noticed she started running again and she's not racing. And so she's doing it for joy. So it was very timely. Um, and, and I figured people would listen to someone like her, uh, when it comes to running. Um, and then Ladia is just, just like overflowing with, um, joy and, and love for life. And, um, the number of people that reached out to me and, and said like, they listened to all the podcasts and, and that was the best one they've ever heard. Oh. Um, just like, that's what I live for. Like 
putting that kind of message out into the world. And I got a dozen comments from people saying um, that that stuff like that brought them happiness in in such a dark time. And my dad texted me. He was like, that was the best one you've done. Yeah. And, um, and I forget where I was going with this, but you're following your passion. Yeah. And, and it was, and, and Ladia like got so much out of it too. And she was, she texted me, she was like, I didn't even realize how much hope and bravery I had and the connection that she had to Gabe during her Western States experience. Like, thank you for that. Um, and so just like put stuff out there that's helpful. And I mean, this whole podcast started, um, originally I would say for selfish reasons, but you've reframed it to, uh, self care. Like I just enjoy these conversations Yeah. and, and, um, and it's great. Oh, I remember where I was going. My dad said for, you know, there there are like almost 3000 people listening to each episode of this now, which is shocking to me. Thank you all. That's insane. (laughs) Thank you all for tuning into my rambling here. Um, But I mean, I got a dozen comments and I can only think of all the times that I really enjoyed something and I didn't reach out and, and just to like think about how much it impacted those dozen people that they chose to reach out and that there are probably, you know, hundreds more people that, um, like that was a high point of the day. Like for me, running is, is the high point of my day or, or having this conversation is the high is obviously the high point of today. And I get to do that and share it with 3000 people. And, um, and, and so I'd say that's my North star right now. And like you said, it's evolving and it's changing. And if you had told me that, um, you know, three months ago when, when my running was the best it's ever been in my whole life that I would wake up, you know, super stoked to, to talk on the podcast. And, and that, that was my, you know, that was what I was really excited about. Um, yeah, it changes. And then, and then there's a part with work, like, I feel that we have a responsibility more than ever before to help people achieve better health. And so like every day that I get to work is a blessing and, and I feel it's more important than ever. And, um, like we're fired up and we just had a, an all company meeting and like the, the energy that our CEO brought to that meeting. And, um, it was like, you know, a state of affairs, like, here's where we're at, throw out all of the rules and throw out all of the playbooks and burn it all down and let's start from scratch because this is a whole new world and for me that's like i live for that stuff and um yeah so it's it's just getting good stuff out there and and sharing it and and um doing it you know all together there's the the line of rising tide lifts all ships let's let's lift each other up let's let's bring more light uh into the world i've been listening to um there's a song by thomas rett with keith urban and Re- uh, reba and you know all these amazing artists called be a light and um it's just about like just bring good into the world and uh <laughs> i 
could talk like this for hours, but no, uh, I mean, (laughs) it's, it's just a really kind of, and then I know our time is coming up, but kind of just, you know, something that you said reminded me of like, oftentimes in order for society and people to change, they have to go through a crisis and it's not, that doesn't make the crisis any easier and it's not ideal. And I wish we didn't need crisis for change and some people don't. And yet it's often like forest fires in order for like forests to rebuild and grow. Sometimes you need the chaos to create the change. And it it. sounds like in your life right now, it's not like you needed this, but it does sound like through this crisis, there are like these little flowers poking through. of like trying, like grab, you know, like how you run sometimes yeah. and you see like those little flowers in the cement and that's kind of what you're doing right now. You're like watering your little flower. I love it. Danielle, thanks so much for, for taking the time to chat today. Um, where can we find you if we want to follow along with your adventures or learn more about uh, the services you offer? Uh, well, you can email me on the Danielle R Snyder at gmail.com or I have an Instagram account, D-I-L-E, D-I-L-E. E L L E smells on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a trail runner. What do you want? Awesome. (laughs) Thank Uh, you so much for letting me. This is such an honor. I can't even tell you. Of course. Thank you so much for saying yes so quickly and and joining in. Yeah. Be safe. Stay sane. (laughs) That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run, and in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.